You are listening to KC Sports Network, proudly presented by Emprise Bank. Coming up, the latest episode of Benny and the Bets. Welcome in, everybody. A very special edition of Benny and the Bets here on Kansas City Sports Network, presented by our good friends, PXG. If you have not had an opportunity to participate in the August Gen 6 Driver Challenge, you have till the end of the month to do so. They have waived the fee for a driver fitting. It's basically your driver up against theirs. Bring it on to their store. They're located here in Kansas City over in Overland Park, right around 119th and Blue Valley Parkway. Of course, if you're checking out this show across the country, head on over to any PXG location. It's your driver against theirs. And if your driver outperforms their new Gen 6 driver, you will be walking away with a $100 MasterCard gift card. So it's till the end of the month. Make sure you guys check it out or visit them at pxg.com. I'm so excited to bring on Armin Katayan, who you've seen his face, you've heard his work for a long time, uh, an outstanding storyteller, reporter, investigative journalist, and the new co-author of the book, Gambler by Billy Walters. Now, you might have heard that name before if you're somewhat familiar in the world of sports betting, but for those of you that aren't, um, he's been described as the Michael Jordan of sports betting. If you want to put it in local Kansas City terms, he's the Patrick Mahomes of sports betting. Uh, All this man has done over the course of a near 40-year career has beat the books for almost that extended period of time. And Armin, I'm so glad that you're joining us today to really provide some incredible insights on what I have to believe is of all the different projects that you've been able to put on, I'd love to know first and foremost, what what was the hook for you besides the obvious? Here's a man who's has this a bit of a mysterious past, uh, is talked about in these legendary circles. How did that connection to you for putting together and co-writing this book ultimately come together? Well, it's kind of funny. The I did when I was at Sports Illustrated in March of 1986, we did a special report, 32-page special report called uh Gambling in America, uh, yeah, something gambling America's national pastime question mark. There was a, and this is 1986, uh, so it's gone on almost 40 years ago. And I was the main reporter on that, investigative reporter on that. And there was a sidebar that was done on the computer group. And I still, to this day, have that gray file um, with all the, um, search warrant applications and everything else. And the Billy Walters name is all over that reporting that we were doing, even though Billy's name, pretty thankfully for Billy, didn't end up in the in the piece. But when I was approached to do this book, the person who approached me said, do you know Billy Walters? And I said, you mean the computer group, Billy Walters? I said, yeah, I, I kind of know who that is. He goes, well, I, they, he wants to do a book. He'd like to talk to you. Um, would you be interested? And I said, I'd ask, absolutely would. And to be honest with you, the computer group side of it was interesting. The sports betting side of it to me was interesting. But the more I learned about Billy's life and this wild Horatio Alger, rags to riches, rags to riches, rags to riches story, I was much more drawn to that as a storyteller than I was to the pure numbers that are still a major part of the book in these two masterclass chapters. But I, as a storyteller, was really taken and continue to be taken 
Because I think Billy's the most, literally the most interesting person I think I've ever interviewed. And I've interviewed thousands of both superstar athletes. And when I was the chief investigative correspondent for CBS News, a lot of major public figures. To me, Billy is 77 years old. And it, if you really kind of break it down, he's lived about four or five lives. All of those lives laid out in the book in various ways. Um, so yeah, I was I was taken by the initially by the computer group because as you well know, it was the first computer syndicate to use, you know, computer algorithms and high class data to go against the books. And they crushed the books for like about five or six years. And Billy was the one who was moving the majority of the money for the computer group around the country and around the world. So that was certainly a big part of it. But the more I learned about Bill um, and the kind of person he is um, and the wild ride and, and how colorful he is and the cast of characters, I was like, well, I'm in. So that was three years ago. You know, so I... You know, I, I bit off a little more than I thought I was going to chew there, but in the end, I think it turned out well. How how much of your investigative reporter background within this three-year project really came into play? Besides just your conversations with Billy, there were a lot of, I, I would imagine there was a lot of fact-checking that needed to be involved. Um, there, there's different aspects and other folks that we'll, we'll learn about a little bit later on in this conversation and their stories that need to be fact-checked. How much of your background in investigative journalism really played a role in, in telling his story? It was critical. I mean, absolutely critical. Uh, I don't think, and I'm not tooting my own horn, but I've done this a long time and I'm familiar with court records and I'm familiar with public record and the importance of being able to, and my standard has always been, can we defend what we're saying in a court of law? If push comes to shove and there's a libel lawsuit, how do we defend what we've said in this book? And I can tell you that I spent hundreds of hours with Bill alone, um, interviewing him both in person and on the phone, but then I spent countless hours interviewing another 60 people that were involved in some form or fashion in Billy's life to A, double check some of the things that Billy was telling me. Um, you know, he would set a scene and I would call up, um, I would call up Doyle Brunson when Doyle was still alive, or I would talk to Dewey Tomko, or I'd talk to Billy Baxter or Bobby Baldwin or Gene McCarley or Jimmy Vaccaro, all these, you know, names that are in the book. And I'm just like, well, Billy said it happened this way. How do you remember it? I wasn't going to give him any, you know, more than that. And then they would tell me, and then I would go back to Bill and I would say, well, this is the way that so-and-so remembers it. Then he would sometimes say, no, this is the way that I remember it. And this is the way I want to say it. But you know, the devil's in the details here too, the little things, the conversations that take place. And then there was an enormous amount of research. I have inside of here in this room, but I've got a bin that's about this wide and about that deep full of nothing but binders and file folders that oftentimes when we mention somebody like Benny Binion in the book who, you know, was the founder of the Horseshoe Casino in Las Vegas and came from Dallas where he was a mob figure. Well, I have a whole section 
on Benny Binion where I could fact check Benny Binion's life before I started to write about Benny's life and his intersection with Bill in Las Vegas in the 80s. So yes, it's a very good question. And, and I have done some sort of cursory math. If you take 50 weeks a year, even 40 weeks a year, and you multiply it times 50 hours a week times three years, you're north of 6,000 hours that I put into this book. And Billy, to his credit, I've done books with Mike Singletary, Catfish Hunter, George Lopez, the actor-comedian, and they were all actively involved in all three of those autobiographies and those collaborations. I can tell you the cumulative amount of hours that they put in, Billy probably doubled it in the amount of time that he put into this book. He's a perfectionist. He sets a very high bar on things. And our mantra from the beginning was, was we're not going to put anything in your book, it was Billy's book, that we cannot defend in a court of law and that isn't based in some form or fashion on facts. Um, Mickelson would be exhibit A. Some of the stuff we write about Steve Wynn would be another exhibit of that, the Southern District of New York, his insider trading case. Um, Pensacola, where he went for 31 months on those charges that he was convicted of. So yes, it was a... Um, you know, Jeff Bennett and I did, we spent three years on the Tiger Woods book and that was a, I, that was about as high on a mountain I want to climb. This was, um, just, it was probably more difficult cause it was just me. Um, but also, you know, when you're talking about public figures like Phil Mickelson or Steve Wynn or Preet Bahara, the U S former U S attorney in the Southern district of New York, you better damn well be right about what you're writing and saying, um, and so, yes, we were, um, I was acutely aware, and I think, and Billy would be, I think, the first to say it, one of the reasons I, he selected me and picked me to do this was because of my journalistic background, and not just as a writer, but as, as an investigative reporter. Besides the aforementioned names that you brought up, the Steve Wins, Phil Mickelson, um, was, was there anybody else that had reached out to you um, or to Simon & Schuster that basically said, you might want to think twice about publishing this type of story? This There's some stuff in here that we would not like to see get out. No, it didn't work it that way. It was almost self-editing. And there were a couple times I said to Bill, Bill, what's the upside of us, you, saying this about this person even though we can prove it, what's the upside in 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 um, you know t taking some skin here in this way or settling a score this way? And I think it's a process. You know, when you're dealing with somebody like Bill, who has he's a very opinionated person, we went through a process where we had these discussions sometimes, not in the in the calmest of tones. Where, where we were really debating, arguing back and forth at times, the wisdom of, of printing something like that. And that's a really good question too, because it was more self-editing to, so we didn't get to a position where I would have to make a phone call to somebody. And then that, the next phone call that person would be making to Simon and Schuster to say, you know, this is actionable because, um, 
you know, people can sue over anything. You know, that's that's their prerogative. How far it goes and how deep it goes is another story. And I just think in this case, I was extremely conscious of that. And I think that was good for Bill. Um, and if if we had done it the other way, the book would have been 900 pages long. And, I, and that, that was the other thing I was saying to Bill. I was like, Bill, we want people to turn pages of this book. You know, it's 360 pages as it is. We don't need to have people bogged down in the minutia of, of you trying to settle a score with somebody. And Bill, to his ever-loving credit, was very conscious of that. And I think in the end, the book really benefited from it because it, there, there's very, very little of that, if any, in the book. So if anybody is is, is tuning in, uh, the book is now officially out. Uh, it's out on Tuesday. Uh, so this is where this when this interview is airing. So the book is available. You can get it, uh, whether it be Amazon, your local bookstore here in Kansas City or elsewhere, Barnes & Noble, BAM. Uh, you can get it directly from the Simon & Schuster website as well. Um, as we're going over uh, a remarkable story with the, the co-author of Gamble, Armin Katan, I, I want to ask you about Billy's success, because I, I saw an interview that he did with uh, with Dana Jacobson from a few days ago on CBS, essentially detailing the odds of how he could have even made it to this point. Oh, uh, yeah. Extremely, extremely poor rural Kentucky. Um, this is somebody that at the age of nine... Um, he was trying to hustle folks at a pool hall. Um, he was a used car salesman in his early teens. Um, and then eventually, you know, the, the move to Vegas came. But he was also somebody with an enormous amount of vices at the early portion of oh, yeah. his betting career. So he that kind of set the odds that did like five million to one that he would have made it to this point. Yeah. Setting all these sort of different lives and different lives of rags to riches sort of over and over again. How did he do it? Well, I think he's got, he's as, once Billy got sober and once he started to bet with Chip Reese, who was one of the greatest poker players in the history of Hold'em and, and you name it, seven card stud, he learned a money management system. So his life intersected with some really bright rounders in Vegas in the, in the early 80s, the Chip Reese's of the world, the Doyle Brunson's, the Stewie Unger's, um, the Billy Baxter's, the Bobby Baldwin's of the world. And they, I think the combination, particularly of Chip, because uh, Billy was a guy who could lose a million dollars one night and make half of it back on the golf course, hustling. He's a great golfer, particularly under pressure with a lot of money on the line. So... Yes, I think Billy's life went like this for so long. But then we said, you know, you think about it. He gets arrested for bookmaking in Louisville on three major bookmaking, felony bookmaking charges. He's got a great criminal defense attorney who says two things to Bill. One, you have to stop booking if you're going to stay in Louisville. Or two, you need to get out of town. Well, where in the world would it gambling addict with a capital A and a guy who was bordering on an alcoholic want to go to try to get his life in order. Oh, for sure. Let me go to Las Vegas. You know, <laughs> we say in the book, he's that ate, you know, that ate addicts for lunch and dreams for dinner. And 
what are the odds that somebody like Billy, who was about this far from just falling off the cliff, I mean, they literally had a bet, an over-under bet with four of his friends as to how long Billy would be alive. And the over-under was 35, and they all took the under. You know, and it was like, they didn't think he was going to make it past 35. 36, he goes to Vegas. It's, you know, it's a mobbed up city. It's violent. There's mayhem and murder all over the place. And what does Billy do? Not only does he survive, he thrives there as a, as a better, as a gambler, as a golf hustler. But more importantly, I mean, as a businessman, um, he takes that discipline and that preparation and that enormous work ethic that he has. And once he gets sober, he sees opportunity. He sees opportunity in golf courses. He sees opportunity in the automotive business. He sees opportunity during a savings and loan crisis when he has cash to buy buildings for pennies on the dollar. Um, at one point in time, he owned 22 car dealerships, co or owned himself in 13 golf courses, and he had real estate investments and biotech and things like that. So Billy's not a one-trick pony, even though he's the most successful sports gambler in the history of sports gambling. He's also a very astute businessman. And I think that's a, a part of Billy's life that's far less known um, and is now a big part of the book. And that was another interesting thing for me was to develop that kind of storyline in the book because, um, you know, Billy's a, uh, he's, as I said, he's a perfectionist and his success is even at 77, he's still trying to beat the odds in gambling um, and in business deals that he's doing. He's trying to get the upper hand all the time. But um, I didn't know what the odds were. I didn't put it in the book because I didn't really, I didn't want to say, but when Billy said to Dana Jacobson, um, for CBS when she did the piece. Yeah, I think it's about 5 million to one. I was like, well, you would know. <laughs> right? I'm not going to question your odds. That's a pretty good number, 5 million to one. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. If there if there's one person that you're going to trust when it comes to, to narrowing down that number, it's hard to go against yeah. somebody uh, like yeah. Dan Walters. No. I want you to, can, can, you, can you dive into the computer group a little bit more? And for anybody that, that might not be aware of sort of what that means. I think many of us know that there's, and especially, you know, with, with how sports betting and sports betting information has gone today, but what was, how was what Billy built with the computer group in Las Vegas as revolutionary as it was at that time? And, and did he talk at all in the book about how, what he was doing before has kind of evolutionized into how pros are doing it now? Oh Yeah. Well, the computer group, to give credit where credit is due, was originally started by Michael Kent, who was a computer programmer genius um, working for Westinghouse in Pittsburgh, designing better nuclear submarines. So this was a guy with a very, very big brain who had an inch, he was playing center field on a softball team and got curious one day about the statistics on his team versus other teams in the league and started to run these computer programs. Um, oh, we're better at, you know, moving runners along or we're better with runners in scoring position, whatever it was, Michael's brain started to spin and he goes, huh, well, I, I kind of love college football. I wonder if I could use these same principles and algorithms and, and data to, 
to look at college football teams. And then he goes and gets all the NCAA handbooks. You know, in the old days, it was all paper. And he, over a period of years, designs this program that Michael ends up in Vegas, designs this program that it's almost like um, it would be like Babe Ruth playing against a, a, a college pitcher. You had some really smart um, bookmakers in Vegas at the time, Bob Martin, Scotty Shetler, Jack Franzi, really Jimmy Vaccaro, really bright people, but they're doing things on a pencil and paper. You know, they're doing things on a, on a chalkboard. You've got an IBM or whatever kind of computer they were using spitting out power ratings that the computer likes versus the power rating numbers that the, the sports books like. And when they found ratings differential point differentials in games based on the power ratings of two points or more, often three points, they were pouncing on those games. And where Billy came in was in Louisville when he was bookmaking, he was moving a lot of the money for the computer group that was kind of being laid off from New York City through Pittsburgh down into Louisville. So Billy was moving money and then he became a pretty big East Coast mover for the computer group. When he came to Vegas, he took over that entire operation. And if, what, if Billy knows one thing in that cat and mouse game, he was figuring out ways to camouflage the computer group's plays, which was really his job. And so everything from partners to beards to partnering with people like Floyd Mayweather. And you know, there were Hollywood actors that he was working with who would, that he would partner with. Or he would just go into a casino. Uh, well, at one point in time, he had 1,600 accounts around the world with guys with foreign accents betting in, you know, in Ireland and guys with English accents in England and guys using um, devices that would change their voice, you know, so it could, you never, the bookies could never really figure out where the number was coming from, but it was a computer group number that Billy was maneuvering, you know, literally around the world at times. So to me, again, as a journalist, when a storyteller, I can't get enough of that, right? Because I'm just like fascinated with how his mind works. And it's working at a pace that's at times much faster than mine. And I'm like, Bill, you got to slow down here. Okay, so you had this, then you were doing this, then you did that. Um, but that lasted about, I mean, the computer group crushed it for about five or six years. They were making the estimates were some years 25 million, um, you know, which is what in today's dollars, a hundred million or more. Um, then they caught the attention of this. There's a chapter about this guy named Thomas Noble, perfect name for an FBI agent who wanted to make a name for himself as uncovering this massive organized crime bookmaking betting operation. When, Really, Mr. Noble knew very little about the intricacies of sports gambling. You know, he didn't even know what laying off money was. You know, he was he was a little confused about what bookmaking was versus betting. He just assumed that all the people in the computer group were making their money because they were also taking money, bookmaking. And it turned out that there was this major, major uh, case in 1990 that went to trial I think there were 
if I remember right, 17 defendants. Billy was one of them. Susan, his wife, was one of them. And the the jury came back, and it was just a it was just a knockout punch. I think 56 of the 120 charges were not guilty, and the government ended up dropping the rest of the charges. So, but but that was when when you beat the government that way, and you beat them that badly, and your Billy was kind of front and center on that case. Michael Kent was actually testified for the prosecution. But he only testified, look, we weren't, we were just betting. We weren't booking. So, but that put a target on Billy's back for the better part of 27 years before the Southern District of New York went after him on the insider trading case. And that's in the book and how they did it. Um, fascinating um, to me and I think to other people. But yeah, the computer group was, um, I mean, it was like, I kept thinking, like, you know, it's kind of like discovering. I don't want to go so far as, you know, uh, Oppenheimer stuff, but you, you, it, it was game changing to say the yeah. least. And they unleashed a, you know, they unleashed a bomb of some kind on the books and they blew up the books for a while before the books got smart. And like you were saying, um, now it's, it's really a cat and mouse game because the guys that are in those risk rooms, you know, they're not fooling around. They're really smart. And I know the guys that Billy have, has hired in the past, and they've been anywhere from the number one guy at, you know, MIT people, Caltech people, um, the head of the economics department at a major West Coast university, really bright people. And they don't communicate. They do what their job is. All that information files in one direction, and that's to Billy Walters. And then Billy takes all that information, puts together his number, and then you use 60 years worth of betting instinct and experience before you decide whether you're going to bet a game or not. Uh, and what the value, the most important word, the value of the number is, obviously, against what the book's number is. And when he finds that number, just like he did in the 80s, they, they pounce. And he's not afraid to, to put a head fake on. He's not afraid to bet the other side to move the line to a number that he really wants. And then he'll hit that number really hard. Um, and you'll see in the book, and I learned this, I didn't know there were value to certain numbers of betting that the number three, always oh, early in the NFL is far and away the most valuable number since I think Billy has records going back to 1974 through 2022. Um, 8% of the time, the team that won in an NFL game the number was three, 8% of the time. It's far and away the single most valuable number in the NFL. Now with where the extra point is, it's a little different. Maybe the number's not quite there at three, but I'm like, wow, that's fascinating. And then he tells me, you know, it gives me all this other stuff um, about, oh, if you add up all these numbers, you know, it's three, seven, 10, 14, 17, 21. Um, but even when you get past seven, you get to 10, 14, 17, 21, you can add up the, all of those numbers and they won't, get to, they won't get to three. The value of all those numbers combined, certain other numbers combined, won't get to the number three. So um, that's what I found fascinating more. Just the numbers weren't so interesting to me, as even though I said they are in certain cases, how his mind works and how he takes all those numbers and how he how he sees games 
and the factors and all the different things that go into making his power rating, I was like, wow, you did this for how many years? You know? <laughs> the- and, and for a long and for a long time and in a lot of success as well. Armin Katayan is our guest here on Benny and the Bets presented by PX. You're going to take a short break on the other side. Um, one of the very cool parts among many in this book is Billy goes through his actual areas of success and what led to him being uh, one of the best, if not the best and most successful sports better, um, certainly of, of our lifetime over a 36 year career and counting. Uh, we're going to go through uh, some of those pieces of advice and uh, some other names in this book that uh, were mentioned that I'm curious to get Armin's taken perspective on. Uh, he is the co-author of this great new book that comes out today. It's called Gam- It's called Gambler, Secrets from a Life at Risk. Plenty more with Armin Katayan right here on Benny and the Bad Stay with us. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app. Find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network. What is up, Chiefs Kingdom? We've got to interrupt today's podcast to tell you about our friends at Factor. And with the busy season just around the corner, school's starting up, football's starting up, sports are starting back up for this season. You might be looking for some wholesome, convenient meals for these jam-packed days. And Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, can help you fuel up with fresh, chef-preferred, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle. Too busy with your end-of-summer goals to cook but want to make sure you're eating well? With Factors, get the extra trip to the grocery store and the chopping and the prepping and the cleaning up while still getting the flavor and the nutritional quality that you need. Factors fresh, never-frozen meals are ready in just two minutes, so all you have to do is heat and enjoy to get back to crushing your goals. Refresh your healthy habits without missing a beat, you can choose from 34 weekly flavor-packed dietitian-approved meals ready to eat in just two minutes. And then you can level up as well with their Gourmet Plus options prepared to perfection by chefs ready to eat in record time. Treat yourself to upscale meals with premium ingredients like broccolini, leeks, truffle butter, and asparagus. I put in an order with Factor. I got a chef's choice, so I'm excited to see what they send me there with uh, Factor. So here's what you got to do. You got to head to factormeals.com slash KCSN50 and use code KCSN50 to get 50% off. That's code KCSN50 at factormeals.com slash KCSN50 to get 50% off. Now let's get back to the show. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. 
But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. All right, Armin Katayan is with us. And by the way, you should be giving him a follow. Uh, whether you call it Twitter, whether you call it X, um, he is available at Armin Katayan, A-R-M-E-N-K-E-T-E-Y-A-N. So with regards to the pieces of advice that he laid out, and, and I'm glad you brought up the number three, because yeah, it's, it's a critical number when it comes to the NFL. Um, and yes, extra points to a certain extent and more two-point conversions and and more proactive coaches trying to do a different area of math where they believe they can deem an advantage is, is certainly a, a changing component to the story. But, you know, in particular, um, one area that we're starting to little know a little bit more about is that for years, the assumption was, you know, both teams are ranked relatively even, they're power rated the same. You, you give the home team three points at home. Yeah. That's that's not the case, and it's yeah. not the case by a pretty substantial number. So amongst taking, I don't want to necessarily call them insider secrets, because as more of this has become available, you know, I, I think whether it's casual betters or those who have been doing it for a long time, we're, we're starting to become more aware of it and more cognizant of it. But as far as how Billy's mind works, you said that was such a, an intriguing element of this story. In gaining some of that knowledge as to where he had the advantage, what can you share? I think oh, you've got to go back. You've got to go back to sort of the basics. And I think we're, especially now with so many casual bettors, and there's tens of millions of people now that are, and they're being drawn into the into the sports books or the mobile apps, do this heavy advertising. And I think one of the things that Billy has tried to, to say and do, and he does in Masterclass, which is the first chapter, Advanced Masterclass, has much more detail in the second chapter is to just go through the basics. Certain things like you should spread your bets out. Don't be betting just in one single place. Look for the best numbers. And those numbers may come from one casino or one book one week, but another casino the next week. You have to be, you know, to give yourself a fighting chance against, you know, what is it? You have to win almost 53% of your bets to break even if you're betting 11 to 10, to get to that number for the average person, I mean, Billy spends, I can't countless thousands of hours. So he devotes his life in many ways to getting the information that he needs to get the number. But that for those that don't have the time to do that, number one, spreading your bets out. Number two, being disciplined in your betting. Number three, and these are not all in the exact order, but also on Having a when you have a bankroll, deciding how much money you want to lose, and then 
Billy learned from Chip Reese, they never bet more than 1% to 3% of their bankroll on any single game. So if your bankroll is 10000 don't bet more than 300 on a single game. Don't chase. Parlays and teasers, great. Everybody now, these books are using these parlays and teasers as a way to draw the young bettors into the game. Casual bettors, recreational bettors. Well, the difference between a money line bet and an 11 to 10 bet in a straight up bet, um, 11 to 10 is one thing. Some of these parlays and teasers, Billy was talking to me about it last night. It's it's a dollar thirty, a dollar forty on some of these parlays and teasers. And it's like that's just not smart. I mean, in terms of if you want to entertain yourself and you want to spend ten dollars or something like that on a parlay or teaser, fine. But if you're gonna play in that world, you need to understand that your chances of winning are really small. I mean, minimal. And so what Billy's tried to do is really educate at a very simple level in that first chapter. Um, and then as things, as you were mentioning, some of these charts and graphs, the value of a half a point, for example, is really important for people because, and I don't have it right in front of me, but the, the numbers in the NFL where half a point would have made a difference is is staggering. And it's the difference really between having an opportunity to be in the plus side and on the minus side. So, and I'll give credit where credit is due. I spent an enormous time on the 26 other chapters. There's a guy by the name of Dave Satterfield who was in the acknowledgments, former business editor of the Miami Herald, former managing editor of the San Jose Mercury News. I wrote the templates for the two masterclass chapters. But Dave and Billy spent countless hours together, hundreds of hours, going deeper and deeper until we finally got the feeling of those chapters where you're inside Billy's head and you're thinking along with Billy as he's trying to figure out, um, okay, if you travel three hours from an East Coast to a West Coast, if you're playing, what's the difference from a home team on a Thursday night for a visiting team? All of those factors are laid out chapter and verse in this book in, in, in graphs and charts and in columns that you're like, I mean, it's 50 plus pages of the book. And you're like, this is, this is everything that Billy Walters knows about sports gambling. And I said to him, Bill, why do you want to do this? He goes, Armin, I'm 77 years old. Where am I taking this stuff? You know, I want to help this next generation and he's always believed in the power of legalized betting. He's not the biggest fan of some of the books right now, because if you win three day, three games in a row, four games in a row, you know this, Benny, you start winning, or even if the line just starts to move towards your bet, your limits are going to get cut or you can get kicked out of, some of these places like your, you know, bad news. And Billy's of the belief that the, the sharps should be allowed into these books because it's just like the casinos. If the casinos kicked out all the really good crafts players and the Baccarat players and the blackjack players, well, there wouldn't be anybody, you know, th there would be a different, all you'd have is losers there. And that doesn't work business-wise for the casinos. So he's been really a big believer in, um, in helping educate the casual better and the guy who, just to give them a fighting chance against books that are in the business of putting you, you know, out of business. So 
I think this is, I think to me, of, of, of an audience for this book, and yes, it's great with Billy's life story, and yes, it's we've made news with the Mickelson um, relationship, but to me, I mean, for $30 to get this kind of education from Billy Walters, if you're, if you're a casual to serious sports better, sharp, um, I don't, I don't think you can get a better, um, I don't think you can get better information anywhere, frankly. Yeah. And, and trust me when I say that there are, are, are plenty of folks that are, are listeners of, of this show, um, that are, are paying for, you know, different embedding services and insights and information on, you know, props and fantasy. It, you, you might as well consider having it from the the horse's mouth himself. And again, the, the book is available yeah. today. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, BAM, uh, Simon & Schuster's website as well. I, I have a couple more for you, Armin. And, and you, you brought up uh, you know Phil Mickelson. And I know that that's been kind of the the news eye-popping aspect of the story. And, you know, we can we can discuss a couple of the key aspects maybe that stood out to you. There's obviously the the quote from Billy um, that indicated that he can't recall anybody that had spent as much money on a bet as Mickelson. Uh, yeah. And there's also the tie-ins to uh, Mickelson's not willing to testify on Billy's behalf regarding the insider trading situation. Um of all the, the news that's broken, the part of the story, and again, it's a, it's a small portion of the story, but is there one detail in particular in that portion of it that really stood out to you most? Well, the numbers for me, I mean, Phil, to his credit, and I think he got out in front of this originally with Bob Herrick at Sports Illustrated, where the self-admitted addiction to gambling, you know, and that he sought treatment and that he was uh, addicted to sports betting. Well, when you put the numbers... And, and trust me, I have those from the period of 2010 to 2014, we lay out, we, we said that there were more than 7,000 bets Phil made during that, whether you want to call it four or five year period, but that period of time, the ones that stood out to me, uh, and these are off the top of my head, but I believe it's right. 1,151 times Phil bet 110,000 to win a hundred. He bet. 220 to win 200, 858 times. The gross total of those wagers over from 2010 to 2014 is $311 million in gross wagers over that period of time. That caught my attention, trust me. Yeah. The but, other one that caught my attention was 31, more than 3,100 bets in a single year. You know, when I pulled out my phone and I'm going to my my calculator and I'm going 365 into 31. Oh shit. He's betting nine times a day, 309 games a day for 365 days in a year. Well, that's pretty impressive. Um, and so the fact that he bet, what was it? 43 major league baseball games in a single day in 2011. I don't know how you can find 43 different bets on major league baseball. And that didn't even account for, the times that Phil bet 55,000 to win 50 or 22 to win 20. I mean, there were thousands of those bets as well. And, but we didn't put all those in there. I think, I think that numbers to me were the most astonishing. You know, the Ryder Cup bet 
2012 Ryder Cup at Medina when Phil called Billy and wanted Billy to place a $400,000 wager. That was eye-popping. And trust me, that got fact-checked to the ends of the earth. <laughs> but I just think the numbers, because um, it's a numbers game, right? And for Billy to say that, that, that this is, Phil may be, well be the biggest better he's ever seen in his life. That's like the Pope saying, oh, that's the most religious person I've ever met in my life, right? So that, that seal of approval means something when it comes out of Billy Walter's mouth. And, you know, Phil, to his credit, and I, I will give him credit, when the news first broke, yes, he said what he said. It was sort of a non-denial denial about the Ryder Cup, saying I never bet the Ryder Cup. He didn't say I never called Billy and wanted to bet the Ryder Cup. There's a distinction there. But he never, he never fought the numbers. He never said boo-hoo about the numbers. And which to me, um, you know, because I know we have the numbers. And that's, I, I was glad that Phil didn't go down that road because it wasn't a road that was really going to pay off for him in any way, shape, or form. But, <clears throat> um, you know, Billy says a lot of nice things about Phil. I think Phil, for Billy, was like a son, you know, a young son. that, And they, Billy was a mentor to Phil in a lot of ways. So it's not Billy settling scores or backstabbing Phil. It's Billy being very honest about his relationship and his business partnership with Phil. And in the end, as you mentioned, Ben, how... Um, when Billy really needed Phil the most in the Southern District of New York to testify, to tell the, the jury what he told FBI agents on two different occasions in August of 2013, that he never received inside information on any stock from Bill Walters. Phil had said he would do that, and in the end, he didn't do it. Um, he didn't live up to his word. And if Billy Walters does anything, he's a man of his word. And that means something. When you tell Bill something, you better do it. Um, and in that case, it didn't happen. And that's, that's, that's what, when the relationship went like that. You obviously wrote the, the book on Tiger from a handful of years ago as well. Did any part of this, because yeah, obviously you, there's been, you know, well-documented cases of, of Tiger and, and Phil's relationship while playing against each other. And that's a key dynamic of their narrative, but Amongst their friendship, did, did you ever get the sense that this was something that Tiger was either aware of or had recognized, or was was there any sort of connection? No, because I didn't mean that. You know, there was so much gamesmanship between Phil and and Tiger, and Phil Tiger had an innate ability, almost like a Geiger counter or a you know Mimi 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 Mimi. He would find the next threat, whether it was David Duvall or whether it was Ernie Els, or whether it was VJ or whoever kind of came up. Um, Sergio for a while. Remember that when Sergio did that scissors kick down, you know, uh, yeah. fairway. Um, Tiger was acutely aware of where the next threat to his dominance was going to come from. And Phil was a real threat. I think Tiger more than anybody, because Phil's, Phil's got a, a big set of, you know, what's on the golf course not afraid to hit great shots or to put himself in positions that we've all seen it time and time again, that caught Tiger's attention. Um, and I think that more than anything, whether Tiger was aware of Phil's, what Phil was doing off the course, I really don't know. But in terms of Phil's um, gamesmanship and his willingness to put money on the line um, I mean, I know we have in the book 
there's, I think there's 70 different examples of Phil betting outside of golf on football, college basketball, college football, while he's playing in PGA tournaments, including one weekend where he blew himself up February, blew himself up betting college basketball to the tune of $4 million. And there's, he was very distraught. I can tell you that no small reason why. But then he goes out the next day, Sunday, this was a Saturday. The next day he goes out and shoots 64 to win the AT&T. And, and he's playing with Tiger, who shoots 75 that day. So he beats Tiger by 11 strokes. That probably happened once in Tiger's lifetime. So Phil's ability to compartmentalize in these moments of just when he's burned up at the books but then goes out and shoots 64 to win the AT&T. I mean, there aren't a lot of people that can do that. No, no. not even the slightest. Um, no. I mean, you've been so good with your time. I, I, I hope you have time for just one more question. And, you know, selfishly, no I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it a two part one for you on, on our way out. And again, the book is gambler. It is available today. Uh, please make sure you go and check it out because just based on some of these stories, uh, I've already gotten the, uh, the audio book uh, for it, Armin. So I'm going oh, and wow. Billy, Billy narrated it, Ben. So yeah, that's going to be interesting. Be Call me back and tell me if you can understand everything he said, because there are a few times when we were talking, I'd be like, Bill, you need to slow down this Southern Kentucky accent here so I can get exactly what you're saying. So, but he did it and it was great. I'm, I'm excited to listen. Normally I, I'll do podcasts and audiobooks on 1.25x. Uh, but maybe with Billy, I'll, I'll just listen to it. You want to slow it down. Well, I want to go into the minus a little bit. Yeah. The, the, the final one that I have for you, like I said, it, it's sort of a two part. Um, you had mentioned all the different ways that Billy and his team were able to disguise their bets and all the different accounts and the different disguised voices and in ways around the books, knowing that it was Billy and his group placing the bets. I'd love to know maybe one of those stories of all the different disguises that stuck out to you the most. And the second question that I have, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we had uh, longtime sports writer Jeff Perlman on ahead of season two uh, winning time, uh, which is currently on, on HBO, the story about the Lakers dynasty oh, yeah. uh, and magic. And, you know, he had talked about the concept of this story eventually becoming a major show on, on HBO and in the process of having the story written and then it being turned on to the big screen or the streaming screen, however you want to call it. Have, have you guys been approached at all with this project uh, in any sort approached? of, well, like, oh, I on it first. Okay. Yes, we've been approached. Yes. Many times over both for a documentary and a movie. And, um, those, I can't go too deep into it, but, Trust me, those those negotiations and those things are going on now. I mean, if there's any part of you can do so many like Billy's just as Billy as a gambler coming to Vegas from Louisville and in that world in the eighties with the mob and Tony Spilatro and Benny Binion and Lefty Rosenthal, you know, that kind of that cast from Casino. Um, that in itself is a movie. And then Billy's whole life is a, you know, you could do a multi part documentary on it so yes i think all is safe to say that's all been discussed 
you know, it's interesting when you when you ask me about one story. Um, it's more about you know bookmakers are always, as you well know, they're always on the lookout to see if if the person making the bet is actually the person behind the bet, right? right. So Billy went to these extraordinary lengths, and he would open up. He would have twenty different accounts with one bookmaker. So the bookmaker couldn't tell. It wasn't one person betting 20 different times. It was 20 different people betting one time with that bookmaker. And each of those 20 people would make, let's say, three bets for Billy on that weekend. The most fascinating thing to me was Billy then and his people then had this system where a person would either be, a, it was like a traffic light. They would be red, yellow, or green for the following week. So if you were green, let me go to red first. If you were red, you had in your three bets, you might have won two of the bets and the line moved to you all three times. That made you were red and you could not go out and make the bet that Billy actually wanted to make the bet the following week. If you were yellow, you were neutral, right? So Billy could use you the way he wanted. If you were, if you were green, um, that meant maybe the week before you were red, Billy gave you two of the wrong bets and you made noise making those in a way, wait, well, you just made two of the wrong bets. You won one, you lost two. Now you've gone back to green and Billy can use you the following week to make bets the way he wants to make them. So imagine doing that with 1,600 accounts Every single day, you got to be out of your mind, right? And Susan would do it. Billy would do it. But also, just to, before I go, um, Billy was, you could not bet offshore in the United States. That was, you were asking for trouble there. So what did Billy do? He goes, the first place he goes is to Tijuana, Mexico, and sets up a betting operation in Tijuana, which didn't last very long because the Federalists kept going coming by and asking for, you know, security money. And then they stole $38,000 and Billy said, okay, we're done. <laughs> he goes to Camberley, England. He goes to Freeport in the Bahamas where they dig T1 lines across the island so they could bat at higher speeds. The man's not afraid to spend money to make money. And then they end up in Panama City with this massive operation that went on for years where he was again betting 1,600 accounts around the world. And all I can think about is I can't do two or three things in one day, right? And make sure that I get them all right. He's doing 1,600 things, not all by himself, but he's managing it. And he's managing it not down to the dollar. He's managing it down to the penny because he's there every night. They're settling these books out. So that gives you an idea of what it's like to deal with the Billy Walters of the world. It's a remarkable story. I'm so excited to be able to listen, to read it. Uh, the co-author of Gambler, which was written by Billy Walters, Armin Katayan. Uh, I really appreciate you taking a, a good amount of time and, and hanging out with us and, and sharing some of these remarkable stories. The book is out today. Uh, please go check it out. Armin, thanks so much for your time. For all My your pleasure. For, for all the great work that you've done over the, the many years towards uh, sports journalism and beyond. So thank well, you thank so you much for much having me. Man. I really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you for listening to KC Sports Network. We appreciate your support. Don't forget to hit that follow button and leave us a review if you like what you heard. 
you can find all six of our channels covering the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting KC, and the KC Current, plus KU, K-State, or Mizzou by searching KCSN wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on YouTube. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online. Schedule package pickups through the dashboard and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM.